You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, giving listeners worldwide something to sing about. At the top of the hour this hour, October Barbershop Events. Within a two-week period in October, there are two amazing barbershop conventions to put on the calendar. First, from October 15 to 20, the Sweet Adelines are having their international convention and competition. Held at the America's Center in St. Louis, Missouri, it features amazing concerts and, of course, the big competitions. Then, on October 31st, Harmony Inc. kicks off their international convention and contests in Orlando, Florida. With vendors, classes, concerts, and competitions galore, both events are going to be a ton of fun. Get info on Sweet Adelines at sweetadelines.com and on Harmony Inc. at harmonyinc.org. Hello, Acaville fans. Welcome to Talk Appella. I'm your host, John Lampus, here on Acaville Radio's weekly talk show. Today, I am joined by one of my Acaville mates, my Acaville buddies. I, I don't know what the term is, but Mark Holdeman came on to... Uh, Acaville just a few months after I did. He runs Shop Talk, which is a great segment, a great show that I highly recommend you check out all about barbershop stuff that I've tuned into many a time. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming on Tacapella today. Oh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Mark, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Here in Dallas, Texas, it's about 100 degrees. So oh, wow. I yeah, kind of, kind of sweltering, but that's typical for this time of year. Yeah, this is the time of the year when the word sweltering, I feel like, is used way more than any other part of the year. And it always stresses me out hearing that word. So, um, Mark, can you tell myself and the listeners a little bit about your acapella background? How did you get involved? What do you do? What do you like about it? The whole kind of nine yards of your acapella history. Well, I actually started or was first exposed to acapella through barbershop. My dad was a barbershopper in the Enid, Oklahoma chapter. Uh, Enid, Oklahoma, those of you uh, might, you know, who work crossword puzzles and see four-letter word town in Oklahoma, that's where I was born. Uh, So we had a little small (laughs) chapter there in Enid, Oklahoma, about, you know, 15, 20 guys. and, And he joined the chapter in 1973 and... I was about nine years old at the time, and then growing up, I kind of got interested in it as a as a young kid, and so I joined in 78 as a 13-year-old, and I've now been in it for 40 years. And this is a chapter of the Barbershop Harmony Society, is that right? Correct. It was a chapter. It has since gone defunct. Enid is a pretty small town, and, uh, you know, a lot of the guys uh, just kind of literally chapter literally died off yeah i mean (laughs) that can happen with some of these things so you grew up essentially with this kind of barbershop art through your dad essentially so you were exposed to it it was always kind of around that sounds like it's a really easy way to kind of learn about it through osmosis and then i'm assuming it kind of gave you a way to connect with your dad what was your what was it like growing up with that art kind of always around you it, it was great. I mean, I, I used to come home from school and immediately go into uh, my parents' bedroom where the record player was and, <laughs> and start playing barbershop records and everything. And I, uh, w- one of the quartets that visited our chapter back then t- 
told my dad that the best thing you can do to learn about barbershop is to listen to a lot of records. So that's what I did. And uh, I listened to records almost every day and got developed quite a uh, collection of them over the years. And, and it really gave me a, a very great connection with my dad. We mm. um, The first year I joined with uh, barbershopping in 1978 was also the first year we went to an international convention. Very cool. So after that, we went to international as our family vacation almost every year. That's so really cool. it was great to just kind of go and experience that with my mom and dad. And I wound up not only singing in a chorus with my dad, but singing in a couple of quartets with my dad. And that was, that was great. It was just a, a connection that he and I had and, and still do. He's 92 now and oh, wow. he's not able to, to sing anymore, but, but, uh, we still, you know, have it have that to look back on together is uh, some of the great times we've had. I really like hearing this story, Mark, especially because I have a pretty close relationship with my dad, but we don't inherently share a lot of the same interests just based on, you know, we're different people and that's just kind of how it shakes out. And I feel like we often don't hear a lot about generational acapella connections in the modern acapella scene as much because the modern acapella scene, contemporary acapella has really only been really big for, you know, the past 10 years. So this kind of generational relationship you have with your father through an acapella art form, I think is something that is one, ridiculously heartwarming, but two, is something I think we'll see 40 years from now in the larger acapella world as opposed to just barbershop. And also what you said about listening to a bunch of barbershop records, that makes a lot of sense to me. And that's something I heard a lot of in pretty much any musical instrument or class I've taken where they say to you got to develop an ear for it. So it makes sense at that young age, at 13, where you're absorbing all this information, your knowledge and your aptitude for it is just going to go through the roof because you're just exposed to it. So I'm curious, what do you like about barbershop exactly? What is it for you that draws you in? Well, there's kind of a saying in barbershop is that you come for the music and you stay for the fraternity. Mm. And I've found that that's very, very true. I've been fortunate enough to have experienced barbershop at virtually every level. My Enid, Oklahoma chapter, we were very fraternal. We didn't sing very well. <laughs> <laughs> but but the people in Enid, America, didn't really care. You know, they, they liked the novelty of it. So we were kind of popular there in the town anyway, and we always put on good shows. We would bring in good quartets and that kind of thing. And then from there, I, I moved to Oklahoma City to go to college and wound up in a international top 10 chorus for several years and won a bunch of district championships. And I also helped start a chorus in Oklahoma City when I was there. And from there, I wound up coming to Dallas with my job after college mm -hmm. and uh, wound up in the vocal majority and okay. wound up w winning a gold medal with the vocal majority. And so uh, I've bounced around as a frontline director since then for a couple of other chapters here in the Dallas area. And, and so I've kind of experienced it at all levels. And I find that the thing that runs through all of it is just the fraternity and the friendships that you form. I mean, a lot of these fellow barbershoppers, both on the men's and women's sides, are our family to, mm -hmm. to both my wife and I. I've met my wife through barbershop. I think that's great because I've sung in choruses before and I'm studying to be a choir director. And I always enjoyed the aspect of, yeah, I'm with my choir buddies. We're an 80, 70 person choir, whatever, and we're singing together. But when I started my acapella group, the Timbermen, in my undergrad at the University of Puget Sound, it was four people. 
And that was a real shift for me in how not only obviously making music, because you have less voices, you have to do things differently in terms of the mechanics, but in how I related to my singing mates, how I related Mm -hmm. to fellow acapella members, because instead of thinking about this kind of vague idea of the choir sound, I was thinking specifically about the guy standing right next to me, like my friend Danny, my friend Greg, my friend Jace, like all of us, I was thinking about their voices very intimately and trying to connect with them on a level that was much deeper and much more like emotional than I'd ever done before. Does that kind of sound like a standard barbershop experience? Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, you know, you can get some close relationships in a chorus, but when you start singing in a quartet, uh, you you even develop a lot of even more intense relationships because you're just increased exposure and more rehearsals and you know, going, doing shows and rooming with somebody over, mm-hmm. <laughs> over a weekend, that yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, that, that, that sounds very similar. Yeah. It's a, the one thing that kind of came up over and over, cause I did Timberman. We, we were around for five semesters. I was in it for five semesters, but really only four. Cause the first semester was really just trying to get it off the ground. I definitely, the word that kind of kept coming up for me was trust. And I never really thought about trusting someone in like the bass section of the choirs and because uh, the choir was singing in at the time was 48 people there were 12 basses I wasn't like I don't know I didn't feel like I was inherently relying on anyone but I also wasn't super independent again we were this kind of I don't want to say amorphous but we were not we were a unit but we were like a really big unit so it didn't feel like the like you said the interpersonal stuff was as deep or even as important for that kind of setting but with the four-part singing um, just on all of us I had to one be focusing on my part and also focusing how my part fit with Jace's and Greg's and Danny's and I was trying to direct it at the same time and eventually I had to kind of let go and just trust that okay this song is not going to work if Jace does not get this key change and I can't worry about that I just need to trust him because I need to because if I'm worrying about if he's going to get it, then I'm not thinking about what I need to do. And then Danny might be relying on me because I need to cue him for something. I remember doing a Tacapella episode with one of my former acapella mates and one of the new Timbermen. And he had that same experience about like, whoa, like he just thinks about the group differently. He interacts with them differently. And I didn't realize that was a thing before I started doing Timberman. And I'm so glad I did because when I took that to a larger group, that same kind of idea of trust really helped the ensemble coalesce. So I'm curious, uh, again, talking about fraternity, I mean, you talk about how that's essential or that seems to be like a great byproduct of the um, barbershop kind of situation, the small group singing. How can we foster that fraternity in our vocal groups, whether that is a barbershop group or whether that is a a giant chorus, because I know for us, we always kind of thought about, okay, this person's a good singer when we're doing auditions, but are they going to jive with us? Are we going to feel that, like you said, fraternity? And we were lucky in that everyone always really, really clicked. And again, they trusted each other. But how, how would you say you foster that sense of fraternity and how can we bring that to other ensembles? And is that even possible? Uh, yes, it's it's very possible. It uh, it all kind of depends on what your goals are as a group, and you know, making that a priority. It, it is mm-hmm. harder with the larger groups. I mean, for instance, now 
I direct a chorus of about 15 guys and Mm -hmm. I'm actually able to be a lot more involved with these 15 guys. And to me, that is as as much fun as singing in the vocal majority, which was 160. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the vocal majority, I mean, it was a wonderful musical experience. I got to sing uh, with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir at one point uh, in a joint concert, you know, won an international championship and just singing with a a world famous group like that was a great experience. But one of the downsides of it was that you really only knew half the guys on the risers. Whereas now with the group that I'm in, I, I know everybody and I'm able to, you know, not only know them, know their wives and, and be involved with one of our guys has a music group every month, uh, where he just has everybody over to, his house for a potluck dinner and they sit around and play music all oh, night. You know, it, it, it's, you know, things like that are, you know, it's, it's a different experience, but it has to be fostered, mm-hmm. uh, in your group. Uh, you know, you've got to be about the music, but it can't all, all be about the music because the music only gets better the more the fraternity mm-hmm. is there. I, I've found over the years that a lot of groups, they when when they don't get along i mean you'll every once in a while you'll find a quartet in which some of the members don't get along and mm-hmm. when that happens the music suffers yeah and so you know it it it's more than just the music and and making it a priority is 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 key yeah i often feel uh, and i'm guilty of this as a uh, as a music director in my own groups i i think it's often framed for people and i feel like uh, groups often feel that, no, the music comes first. And if we like get along, that's pretty cool too. But ultimately I think the music's going to go faster and you're going to work on it faster and you're going to just, everything's going to move at an accelerated pace if you focus on the community aspect first. And again, making those bonds. I know for uh, Mountain Horns, my group at uh, Colorado State um, that I just uh, finished directing this past year, whenever we would have like a get together like we do like one once a month or like at least seven or eight of us would all just kind of hang out. Then the following rehearsals were always a lot better. And not just because like we spent time together, but because we felt a sense of, I think the best word for it is like duty. Like for me, if I'm not putting my best into the rehearsal, then I feel less like, oh, I'm not doing good in mountain horns. I feel more like I am letting down this specific person or this specific yeah. person. And when it's four people, then it's that's heightened like a thousand percent because I remember, I think one time in Timberman, I was late. I was late a couple of times when we were first starting out and eventually it kind of hit me. I'm like, I'm not, it's not just this, I'm not letting down this, again, this vague idea of a group. I'm letting down these specific, three specific friends of mine and then because there was that kind of personal, like kind of personal duty to it and that personal responsibility I felt towards them. Accountability. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, but it felt less like accountability to a thing and more to a person, like to a friendship. Yeah. Like if I, I'm hanging out with a friend of mine after this, if I just don't show up to that or show up like an hour late, that, that doesn't feel great. And then versus if I'm late to a class, I don't feel bad. I'm more like, I feel bad for myself, but this idea of being late to like a group a small group is kind of like in the middle it is on one side logistical like missing a class and the other side friendship like missing hanging out with a friend and the more we got to be friends the more 
that kind of spectrum leaned more towards I'm late to hang out with my friends. I'm late to do something with my friends. So that accountability aspect, once I realized that was a thing in the ensemble, then I was like, okay, this is what we have to just really drive up. Like this is what we have to lean into in our next semester when we expanded from four to five we looked for someone who fit that mold we did a retreat early on so we could establish like our kind of vibe and we just went so much faster because we all felt responsible to each other and and because we felt uh, accountable to each other and the group the group itself was, was so much better so i'm curious about another thing mark that i think you of all people can probably answer the best i have always kind of found myself less interested and generally, honestly, less committed to larger vocal ensembles because of the feeling, you know, orally, personally, whatever, that my voice doesn't matter as much in a large ensemble. We would have rehearsals in Timberman where it's like, okay, we, I think our last semester we had like, like we had one of our members miss one time and that was like, wow, we're down 20%. But in Mountain Horns, which was my other group, if we have one person miss, we're down like less than 10%. And I still love singing in both groups very much. But when I take that to, when you take that to the extreme with like a 70 person choir, I personally got less satisfaction out of it because I didn't feel like my voice mattered to the overall sound as much. So I'd always preferred smaller ensembles. Is that something you've encountered? And what are kind of your thoughts on that? Because I want to be, you know, I'm I want to be involved in these larger ensembles, but I feel like I am more personally satisfied when it's smaller. You can kind of pick out my voice, and this might just be an ego thing. You can pick out my voice from the sound of the group. It's a more specific sound as opposed to like a mass choir sound. What What are your thoughts on that, Mark? No, th- I've definitely encountered that. I uh, mm-hmm. I know people who are uh, barbershoppers who are quartet guys, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, they don't enjoy the chorus experience. Uh, sung with a couple guys like that here in the Dallas area. And uh, a great example is uh, we've got the vocal majority, a world championship chorus here, and there are, oh gosh, half a dozen men I can think of who are international top 10 quartet singers who just choose not to sing in the vocal majority because they don't enjoy that experience. Um, mm. So, um, yeah, that's definitely something yeah. I've encountered. And I think that, um, you know, Singing in a a group, you know, a 60, 70, or even 160 member group like the VM, it's just a different experience as opposed to a quartet or a small ensemble. Um, and there are there are things about both of them that are valuable, um, and it just kind of depends on what you prefer. Mm-hmm. My wife, um, she uh, she's from Montreal, and for a year or two, she commuted uh, to. I believe it was Ottawa, uh, a couple, you know, several hours, uh, to oh, sing wow. with a, another large chorus and go yeah. compete uh, at international with the large chorus. And, and she tells the story that as soon as they, uh, finished their set at international, she handed in, as they're walking off the stage, she handed in her resignation letter <laughs> because she just did not <laughs> enjoy the experience of singing with a large group like that. Uh, here in Dallas, they, uh, there's a, you know, world champion women's corp, bar- women's barbershop chorus called the Rich Tones. And, uh, a couple of members of her quartet sing in the Rich Tones. And a lot of the Rich Tones ask her a lot, very often, why don't you come sing with us? And the reason she doesn't is because she just doesn't enjoy singing in large choruses. She prefers, 
singing in quartets or being in a small chorus where she can have more of that fraternal social uh, feeling rather than just being a face in the crowd. Yeah, I guess for me, it's always something that I've felt maybe guilty about. I know I've gotten more out of large choruses when I am instructing them as opposed to singing in them. So I feel like it's something you just kind of, everyone finds their place in the spectrum on. I find if I'm like doing one or the other, like if I'm, or if I'm doing both at the same time, I feel pretty satisfied. But I feel like if I was just doing one or just doing the other, I would find myself missing aspects that both offer that are mutually exclusive. So I think it's important for, you know, especially in the acapella boom we're in right now and in relation to barbershop for people to recognize, like, am I satisfied by this? Am I enjoying the dynamic, like the actual vocal dynamics of this, uh, the social dynamics of this vocal ensemble? So I, I, thanks for kind of walking me through that because it's something I think about quite often. And it's something that as a future choir teacher, I'm always kind of like, okay, how do I motivate my students if they're one of 70 in a choir versus one of four? So super important. And it's a question I think that's becoming more relevant um, every year, frankly. So we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to pass it on over to Amanda Tran with her segment, Notable Coverage. Uh, We've been talking with Mark Holdeman today all about barbershop and small groups and i'm learning a lot and i'm having a great time and i bet you listeners are as well when we get back we're going to talk about some big changes that have happened with the barbershop harmony society and we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. you're listening to community supported acaville radio streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org acaville leave the instruments at the door What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Notable Coverage here only on Tacapella. I'm your host, Amanda Tran, and in every episode, I take a very popular song in the acapella world and try to find some of the best versions, in my opinion, and break them down with you. This week for episode 13, we're going to listen to Sail by AWOL Nation one of my favorite alt-rock bands of all time. If you've never been to one of their shows, I highly recommend them. I have seen them maybe eight or ten times by now, and I am never tired of them. They put on one of the most high-energy shows, and you will just be headbanging and moshing the whole night through. This song came out in 2010, and ever since then, I feel like there's always a group out there that tries to cover this song. I don't know what it is about it. I think it has a similar effect to um, Bishop Briggs' River that I talked about a few weeks back. It's a very intense song, has some dubstep vibes, some very like cool rhythmic things that are in there. And it gives the opportunity to be super edgy and really moody for the soloist and also just like really lash out at the chorus. So it has a lot of opportunities to be very epic in a set. And many groups have taken advantage of this over the years, especially during the time when it came out 2010 to 2012 or 13. So many groups have done it. And even now I still see groups still including them in their sets. So don't be surprised after hearing this, if you hear the song sale in some ICCA competition sets, you heard it here first people. So after hours and hours of research on YouTube and Spotify, I've listened to now way too many versions of sale in the style of acapella. That being said, I'm going to give you guys one sample today. Um, I found a lot of 
transcriptions of this song. And I think that's because it works so well when the instrumentals were directly transferred over into a vocal because the music is so interesting and intense and eerie. It just worked that way. Um, this version is by the Melodors, and I love this group because regardless of who graduates, who leaves the group every school year, they somehow uphold a very strong brand. And when you hear them or see them, you know it's the Melodors, and I think that's incredible. Their version of Sale is a mashup with Feeling Good, and I think it was so clever. They did say it was an inspiration from a remix that was done by a DJ. I forget the name, but if you look it up on YouTube, you can see that. Um, so it's very EDM, very dubstepy, and it definitely accentuates the core of the song. And the rhythm section in this arrangement, oh my gosh, they completely go off. The vocal percussionist and the bassist and all the lower voices in the arrangement just make it so intense and so epic sounding that I'm like, how is this even acapella at this point? I don't know how they do it, but they really did that. And to top it off, the solo on the top line, he is so edgy. He's like ready to be an alt rock band and I'm very here for it. So I hope you guys enjoy this version of Sail by the Melodors. <laughs> Shout out to Acquire Acapella. They did release a live version of themselves singing the song in a staircase stairwell, and it was super echoey. It has over a million views, which is crazy to think that over a million people have watched your acapella video. But I did want to give them a quick shout out just because they have had that reach with their version. I wasn't able to get a sample of theirs, um, but definitely really cool to see people making music and millions of people listening to it. Thanks for tuning in again to Notable Coverage. My name is Amanda Tran. If there's a version out there of Sale or any other song you want me to cover, definitely tweet me at Amanda Tran Rocks. That's at Amanda Tran, R-O-C-K-S. I would love to talk to you about acapella. I could talk about it for years, honestly. But definitely at me, and I look forward to hearing what you guys think. Thanks. Bye. Welcome back to Talkapella. 
Hey everyone, that was Mark Holdeman's beautiful voice. You just heard welcoming us back to uh, our episode today. We've been talking all about barbershop and the dynamics of small groups, which is something I'm super fascinated about. I hope you guys are as well. For the first part of this episode, Mark and I talked a lot about what it means to be in barbershop, what's actually satisfying about it, what's satisfying about being in a small ensemble. But the big reason that I wanted Mark to come on the show this week is that some big stuff has happened with the Barbershop Harmony Society. It's pretty relevant and stuff's happening. And Mark, first, can you tell us, uh, for those of us who don't know, what is the Barbershop Harmony Society? Well, the Barbershop Harmony Society was uh, founded in 1938 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, A couple of uh, gentlemen up there who liked barbershop harmony from you know the turn of the century and and you know barbershop quartets were very popular in vaudeville and uh those types of shows over the years and and even in in recordings uh during the early part of the 20th century uh, a lot of these guys had grown up with that music and they happened to meet in kansas city they were both from tulsa but they happened to meet in kansas city when during a storm their uh, train got uh, delayed going back to Tulsa, so they wound up going, staying at the same hotel, the Mulebach Hotel in Kansas City, and they found a couple guys and spent the night just kind of woodshedding some barbershop music. They got to talking about it and decided that they liked that and said, well, wh- when we get back to Tulsa, why don't we start a barbershop club? So when they got back to Tulsa <laughs> a few weeks later, they uh, started a club in uh, 1938 in Tulsa. And ironically, they just kind of were all they really wanted to do was just kind of start a local club of people who were interested in barbershop quartets. And mm-hmm. so, but the first meeting had 26 guys. The next meeting had like 70. The next meeting had 150. It, it just took off like crazy. And then it, cool. it, it hit the, the newspaper wires and people started reading about it uh, in the newspaper all over the country and chapters started popping up all over the place. And, and it just kind of grew from there. And it eventually turned into a, a society of, of dedicated to promoting and encouraging barbershop music uh, over the years. So uh, I think at the peak, there were like 38,000 members and 800 chapters in, in North America. Oh, wow. And and now it's grown. Uh, their chapter, or they're actually not part of the Barbershop Harmony Society. They're affiliate organizations. Uh, their own separate barbershop organization, but they compete in our international competitions uh, in, in Sweden, New Zealand, England, oh, wow. uh, Germany, South Africa, Spain. I think there's even one or two in Japan, uh, Australia. So it's really spread all over the world, especially in recent years. We've had now a couple of international champion quartets from outside of North America, one from Sweden, one from New Zealand. So, mm-hmm. uh it just grew from that initial meeting in Tulsa. And uh, because of the way it started off back then, fraternal organizations were, were kind of the, the rage. I mean, you had rotary clubs and Civitan, mm-hmm. Civitans, Rotary, Elks Lodge, Moose Lodge. So the Barbershop Harmony Society was kind of started uh, in that vein as a, as a men's only club. Yeah. And um, because of that, a few years later, uh, female organization started called Sweet Adelines International. Well, they mm-hmm. didn't have the international till a few years ago, but they called themselves Sweet Adelines. 
they start the women started their own organization in Tulsa, in, I think in 1945, I believe. And uh, so that kind of grew from there. And then in 1959, a, a group uh, split split off of the Sweet Adelines called Harmony Incorporated. Uh, back they were mostly kind of centered in uh, the northeastern part of the country and in Canada, uh, kind of along the east coast. Uh, they had split off of the Sweet Adeline. So for mm-hmm. many years, there's been three barbershop organizations, two women's organization and one men's organization. So this is this is a big thing. I feel like the common sentiment I hear a lot or the common misconception is, oh, barbershop, you mean like old music? Like, does anyone still do that anymore? And I mean, it sounds like, a, yeah, they definitely still do. And so it's clearly a major force and it's clearly very active. So um, can you walk me through what exactly happened recently? Because that's the big reason I I really wanted to have you on to talk about this. And I kind of understand a bit of it. But basically, the way I understand it is the Barbershop Harmony Society just made a major, uh, major change in regards to it's a gender policy. Is, is that correct? Can you kind of walk me through that? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, like I said, for many years, the, it was a men's only organization. About 20 years ago or so, uh, they began allowing women to direct men's choruses and allowed them to become associate members. They weren't actually okay. members of the organization, but they could be associate members and, and, and then, you know, they could direct a, uh, a men's course, especially in some of the rural communities mm. where music educators, people who have the ability to direct horses might be, you know, few and far between. A lot of chapters kind of found themselves needing to, to bring on uh, female directors. So the society about 20 years ago began allowing associate members, uh, women to be associate members. And then as time kind of went on, we became more and more involved with kind of some of the other organizations. Um, I know the Barbershop Harmony Society began working a lot with Harmony Incorporated in terms of their judging program. They both use the same judging criteria. They go to a lot of the same schools. Uh, The men have pretty much from day one been uh, allowed to judge Harmony Incorporated contests. And in recent years, uh, some of the Harmony Incorporated ladies have been allowed to judge some of the men's contests. So that's been, gotcha. uh, you know, a new thing in uh, recent years. And just kind of the way things have evolved over time. Uh, last week, the society decided, well, we're just going to go ahead and do it and became uh, announced a policy where we now will allow women to become full members of the Barbershop Harmony Society. And that has um, caused a lot of mixed feelings, I would say, from a lot of the people. I think um, a lot of the older members, I think, who have grew up in that Rotary, Civitan, Elks Lodge, Moose Lodge kind of mindset Mm -hmm. are feel kind of threatened that their, their refuge, you know, their night out with the guys might be threatened now. And, uh, so they're they're kind of looking askance at it, but I think a lot of the younger members uh, realize that that's you know really the thing that we need to do is uh, every I think the the phrase that the society is using is everyone in harmony. They just want to encourage, yeah. especially in the way uh, things are in the world today, as divisive as things have gotten. You know, mm-hmm. we we see that 
we can be a force for good and a force for promoting harmony not just musically but harmony and socially also and so the mm-hmm. thing to do is to add not subtract and um, uh, so the society policy that they are doing now uh, as of now women can be members of the society uh, they're not able to be members of chapters or districts yet that will come along in january of 2019 because gotcha. they want to give chapters and districts time to kind of flesh out what they want to do mm-hmm. um, the key thing here is that chapters are still going to be allowed to do whatever they want to do for instance if you want to be a a male only chorus you can still do that nobody is forcing anyone to accept women as members of their chorus or anything like that they're just giving uh chapters the option if they want to add women to their chorus and become a mixed chorus they can if they want to under the auspices of their chapter if they want to start an all-women's chorus and have both a men's chorus and a women's chorus as part of their chapter they can do that or if they want to start a men's chorus a women's chorus and have a mixed chorus they can do that so they're just giving the chapters more options to uh, gain members and to be stronger uh, musically and organizationally uh, by allowing some of these women who have gained a great deal of barbershop knowledge and experience through Sweet Adelines and Harmony Incorporated, and even in the choral world, uh, the opportunity to uh, sing barbershop harmony under the auspices of the Barbershop Harmony Society. Wow, that's a lot. That's a big change. It's a huge change, yes. I, I guess I'm, so my first question is, what do you feel about it, Mark? It sounds like you're you're for this. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much for it because I think it in the long run, it's going to uh, make us stronger. Uh, the, the key for me is the fact that chapters still have the ability uh, to determine for themselves what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the key to me. Uh, my own chapter that I direct, I'm quite sure that we're going to remain a male-only, uh, at least a male-only chorus. You know, at some point in the future, would we consider adding a women's chorus or a mixed chorus? Maybe. But for now, I mean, we're going to, you know, stay a male-only chorus because that's our culture. Uh, the chapter I direct has been around for 72 years. That's just what what we do. That's our culture, and we don't want that to change. Uh, but it does give people the option uh, if they if they don't, you know, if they are lacking in members, if they don't have any tenors, you know, they can still sing barbershop if they if there are some women who want to sing. Uh, and and a lot of people, uh, as you probably can imagine, with Sweet Adelines and the Barbershop Harmony Society, there are a lot of husband and wife yeah. uh, barbershoppers. So now they can sing together in quartets and choruses, which, uh, I mean, they could do it before, but they couldn't compete or really be officially mm-hmm. part of any organization uh, up until, well, the a year or two ago, there was a mixed uh, harmony barbershop group that was started, but it's still kind of a fledgling group. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just opens up the uh, uh, opens up the opportunities for everybody, I believe. And I I personally think that a lot of the concerns that are being put out there now are are I don't I think a lot of people are fearful that 
they're going to be forced to uh, have to sing with women and they're going to you know, male only courses are going to somebody's going to come in and sue us and in order to get on the risers and you know we're going to lose the ability to have a male only course and it's going to change the style and change the experience and i just don't see that happening uh i think there are too many too many things that are entrenched in the uh in the musically and too many things entrenched organizationally uh, I don't, I don't see that happening, and I think a lot of the fear is just unfounded. Gotcha. So my thought with what I'm hearing in regards to, first off, the the fears, the idea of, well, we want to be inclusive, but is that going to potentially damage some of the unique uh, culture and ensembles we've created um, that people have created under the Barbershop Harmony Society? And it sounds like the big fear is what's going to change. If I want to sing with my ensemble with uh, a bass, a baritone, a tenor one, and a tenor two, do I now not get the option to do that anymore? Which it sounds like is not the case at all. You can still do your thing. How I kind of view this is, like you said, one, no one's going to come in and tell you your ensemble has to be this now. But almost to, in terms of the ensemble aspect, and this is what we would do for both Timberman and Mountain Horns, my two groups, is kind of remove the gender equation completely and just say that we are a tenor base ensemble. We had, in both Timberman and Mountain Horns, we said gender does not matter. We we had a bunch of people audition, but for to be in these ensembles, we are a tenor base ensemble, just like an oboe can't audition for a brass band. We are specifically talking about timbre and range that come from these kind of voices. Exactly. I remember the current president of Timberman, he messaged me. He's like, hey, we want to be inclusive, but how do we do gender stuff? Because there are different kinds of groups on campus and we don't want to exclude anyone. And I remember just saying, it's all about instrument. You are not talking about gender. And I'm proud and happy that both Timberman and Mountainhorns uh, both have uh, transgender men in their ensembles right now who are great singers, and uh, they were they had the right instrument. They had a tenor bass larynx, so them auditioning, uh, there was no issue with that. They um, Timberman did have uh, a cisgender female who wanted to audition. I think they did let her audition, but the fact is she doesn't have the instrument that that kind of ensemble requires and i remember when talking with colorado state when i was creating mountain horns they were saying well what do you do about women who audition what's the inclusion thing and i and in our constitution there's nothing about gender the only thing it says is uh, to be eligible for auditioning for this ensemble you have to sing the c below middle c at in a comfortable vocal range um and that's that's how we define it there's nothing about gender it's all about what your actual timbre and range is. Cause I don't know. I've met a, I met a, an older Polish woman who could like sing a low G like two G's below middle C. And it's like, that's a voice I'd love, but it's because her instrument fits within the ensemble. And I think that's the thing that people just kind of have to understand because there's one thing about, well, we want this to be a guy's club only. Okay. That's, there's some room for debate there and what that means. But when it's like, we want this to be a tenor bass ensemble only. I think that is totally fair. I do not think it is exclusionary because it is not based on what we just want dudes. It's based on these are the kinds of ensembles we want to sing in and that we prefer. I prefer singing in tenor bass ensembles a lot. 
And I'd feel comfortable in this kind of situation just being like, nope, tenor bass is is what we're doing, essentially. What do you think of that, Mark? Right. And and, and that, I think, is is the case in, in Barbershop because, for instance, the vocal majority, you have to pass an audition in order to sing in the vocal majority. And if your voice doesn't fit with... Uh, not or if you're not the type of voice that is going to fit in that ensemble, they have every right to to say, "I'm sorry, but you know, here's you're not going to work with us, or you know, you can go try out for these other groups or something like that." Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing uh, that we're talking about with this new gender policy. Is that if you know, choruses have had the the right to determine who they can let in for years and none of that is going to change uh, as a result of the gender policy and i think that's Mm -hmm. the big fear uh i i really like how you guys have approached that uh and i think that that's probably uh the type of mindset that the barbershop harmony society is working toward yeah i think the big thing this says to me is again talking about what I referred to earlier, this idea among the modern kind of unknowing public that what, bar- like the idea that barbershop is not either relevant or not really around anymore. This policy that the Barbershop Harmony Society is implementing is just allowing more people to take part in that. And that's going to show people, hey, we're still around. We're still important. And look what we're doing. It's right. pretty cool. And just allowing more people to come in. I remember uh, in the large tenor bass ensemble, I think it was about 13 in my undergrad, which I was not a part of. Mine was the group of five. They had a transgender woman in their ensemble who was like the best tenor in the school. And if they had based their policy solely on only males can audition, they would have really, their ensemble wouldn't have been as good because they would have missed out on one of the best singers in the whole school. But because again, it was range, she could sing um, just as low as them and she could sing crazy high it made perfect sense for her to be in the ensemble. So I just see this, like I said, inclusivity and getting people who might fall through the cracks and just making the Barbershop Harmony Society more diverse and through that diversity uh, stronger and longer lasting. And I think it just shows also just a willingness to change with the times and a willingness to try and find the best option for everybody. And then I think people won't feel as intimidated if they want to try out and they don't know what voice part they are. It just seems like opening the doors to everyone can only make it stronger. Does that right. sound right? Absolutely. I agree. And and the society has been working toward this uh, for a number of years. I mean, the, mm-hmm. uh, the perception out there is, is that it's, you know, old music and that sort of thing. Well, look, I'm, I'm going to pick up a CD. I, I, we went to a show in Austin a couple of weeks ago and I bought the quartet. That was the guest quartet. They're a throwback from uh, the, Actually, they got a couple of guys in Florida and a couple of guys in Pennsylvania. I bought their mm-hmm. CD, and I'm going to read the seven songs that are on the CD that I bought. All right. Two of a kind working on a full house. There I've said it again. To make you feel my love, the more I see <laughs> you. When I was your man, between you and the birds and the bees and Cupid, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. So these are not old. These are exactly. Not... Yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 the repertoire of the Barbershop Harmony Society has been being updated uh for a number of years deke sharon was uh, inducted as a uh, honorary member of the barbershop harmony society a year or so ago he's been working with some of our top arrangers uh we've been publishing a lot more contemporary titles uh i'm actually working with deke myself and bringing him oh, cool. into uh dallas here this fall for a, a acapella festival that we're putting on so 
That's great. There's a lot of uh, cooperation starting to take place between the contemporary acapella worlds and the barbershop worlds, and and that's part of what Shop Talk is about. So yeah, uh, so I think a, a lot of diversity and a lot of uh, modernization of things is what we, Barbershop Harmony Society really feels like we have to do in order to survive, and it seems to be working mm-hmm. because the number of younger members that have joined the society in recent years has just exploded. That's fantastic. This all sounds like a great move to me. I'm really curious to see what uh, hurdles this the society is going to have to go through, what future challenges this could open up. But ultimately, the good seems to outweigh the bad here. I'm just so curious to see how this develops, what it's going to be like 10 years from now as a result of this policy change. I can only see it getting better, getting more viewpoints, and just growing stronger because of that. So I'm really excited. Maybe I'll look into joining because I still love doing that kind of music. This makes me, as someone who could have already joined, like this makes me want to join even more because I could get my female friends, my non-binary friends, like my transgender friends, anyone, because it sounds like, oh, this isn't just a boys club. There are boys clubs there and I could join one of those, but it's giving me the option to choose amongst all of this. And because of that, I'm I'm more interested in this now. And I, I think that's an unexpected side effect of, oh, you weren't super into it now, but now you are because we because they have shown very clearly through this policy they are about inclusivity. So I'm really excited about this. This is great. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break here as we wrap up this episode. We're going to hand it over to one of our newest segment hosts, Erin, with Across the Pond as she talks all about UK acapella. Stick around because Mark and I are going to talk just a little bit more to wrap up this episode, and we are going to be right back. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock on our app, on TuneIn Radio, and online at acaville.org. Hello and welcome back to the second installment of Across the Pond. My name is Erin and Across the Pond is giving you the highlights of UK a cappella. So today's episode is the second episode um, of this series. If you missed last week, I briefly outlined what this would be all about and it's basically just taking you through all of the good parts, all of the highlights of UK a cappella throughout the year. This week, we are focusing on a semi-pro London group. They're called Collaborate. They started back last November-ish. And I've watched them grow since then and have a really strong personal connection to the group. And I think they're absolutely brilliant. Two weeks ago, they had their first concert in London. They did eight songs. They sold out the venue. And it was great. Uh, I managed to get an interview with their founder, creator, Ben, who told me all about it and all about their journey. I asked Ben to tell us a little bit about who he was, why he started Collaborate, what the journey was, how the gig went for him, what his personal highlight was. I asked him what the biggest challenge with a semi-pro group was because he was in the Songsmiths from the University of Leeds and what the biggest difference actually was between semi-professional groups and his university group. And I also asked him what the next goals were for his group. So this is Ben telling you a little bit about Collaborate. I started this group with um, a friend of mine, Caroline Rosebury, who was in the Rolling Tones at university. 
we met after university and felt like there was a gap in the market to start an acapella group but in a way that was different to what we could see that was out there we wanted it to be forward thinking and fresh and we were very open-minded as to what that group would look like we our journey started lots of discussions about what we wanted it to be and we held open auditions you know, a three-part audition process and we brought together the group that we has now we have now once we had the members of the group we felt like we wanted to create some original content so we filmed um, an original music video and um, we did two gigs in april to kind of dry run some of our material and get some gigging practice in uh with the group and these went really well and we used a guest beatboxer which is something that we felt like we wanted to go ahead and um, use going forward. It keeps the material fresh and um, it adds kind of a different element to, to each gig that we do. The gig went really well. Um, it was a challenge putting something together. It was a completely dead space, so we had to hire um, everything and organise everything from tickets to alcohol to money to budget to support acts and i was really pleased with how it went we sourced two artists um singer songwriters to support us which i think again added a different element to what you might usually see at a traditional acapella concert my personal highlight was our set in general which sounds like a bit of a cop-out answer <laughs> but it really was the fact that I felt completely relaxed with these people. And I think we take a slightly different approach to music. And I think I would just, yeah, I'd stress that. I think the, the, the way in which we're unique is that we're very, very open-minded. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel or in this sense, reinvent university collegiate acapella. I think that's done very well. And I, and I was really proud that we produced a set and produced music that was reflective of the diversity of the people in the group and reflective of our mission, which has always been to create something um, a little bit different. I'd say the biggest challenge with a semi-pro group is life getting in the way. We all have full-time jobs, you know, this doesn't pay our bills. I think at university or at college, there is that element of you know, you can you can work rehearsals around a university timetable and university scheduling. But you know, most of us work nine to five, so rehearsals were tricky to organise and we had to take into account holidays. It's a, a very, very fine balance and you want to make sure that you're supporting people in the group and that they feel that it's something that they can take on. So we try and empower the members of our group to be able to go and do their day jobs and then you know, fully enjoy rehearsals and enjoy the process of the group. So I definitely say the biggest challenge is working, you know, with young 20-something individuals who all have jobs and lives and very busy. And, and we're in London, you know, so it's, it's a little bit mental. I would say the biggest difference between creating a group outside of uni and a group in uni is the freedom and flexibility that you have. Obviously, university groups, the culture within university groups is directed very heavily towards the competition season which means that the structure of the material that you do the very material that you, that you choose to do um is usually aimed towards a specific goal which is competitions and therefore that can be quite limiting in terms of what you do 
when you're creating music for concerts and to be shared with musicians and you know we've done some corporate and wedding gigs it allows you the freedom to be able to to basically do what you want which i really enjoy you know there's there of course i I miss the all singing all dancing element that you get within um university groups but i really am thoroughly enjoying having the freedom to um, experiment with different musics different sounds um looking ahead we're looking to work with a spoken word artist to create something collaborative so we feel like the door's open to do whatever we like which we love that was ben telling you all about collaborate you can find them on instagram facebook they have a gorgeous shiny um new video out that's an original song with a artist that they collaborated with so please do go look them up their music is brilliant and they really are trying something different and i think that's what i really admire they're just they're not just acapella they're trying to get all sorts of other people and instruments and collaborations <laughs> involved so that's who they are and you should definitely definitely go check them out all right thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week with a highlight on the uk acapella ball so make sure to tune in for that and this has been across the pond bye and welcome back to Talk Acapella. We've had the privilege today to talk with Mark Holdeman, a fellow Acaville member. I always love it when I get more people from the Acaville team on here. It's just great because we have inside jokes. We No, we don't have inside jokes, but I wish we did. Um, and it's, it's always great to have someone who's uh, kind of in the community here on the show. We've talked a lot about small groups, about what it's like singing barbershop, what it's like growing up with barbershop, and the new gender policy where the Barbershop Harmony Society has opened its doors to everyone regardless of gender. So I've had a great time today learning more about barbershop um, learning more about the Barbershop Harmony Society, its history, uh, what it means to Mark, and what it kind of now means to me, or how I kind of understand it a bit more. So, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. If there was one piece of advice you could give to an aspiring acapella singer out there, whether they be uh, barbershop or contemporary acapella or just in choir and they have an inkling they want to do something more, what what would you tell them? I would say try to listen to as many different types of music as you possibly can and find find what it is that really trips your trigger and and pursue that uh, because that's going to be the one that refreshes you and renews you and keeps you going through the years. And, and that's what barbershopping has done for me. Awesome. Mark, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to hear what's going on in the barbershop world, what's coming up, how could they do that? Well, you can contact me through shoptalk at ockaville.org uh, mm-hmm. uh, through the uh, shoptalk email. Uh, we're, we broadcast on Thursdays anywhere from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock Pacific to Eastern time and then on rebroadcast Saturdays noon to 4 depending on your time zone and uh, 12 12 a.m to 4 a.m depending on your time zone the best way to get in touch with me is through the shop talk uh email and that's shop talk at org. yes correct yeah cool 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 uh and is there anything else going on in the barbershop world that's coming up that would be good to know about well, we just had our international convention uh, the first week in July in, in uh, uh, Orlando, uh, but the Sweet Adlines, they have a, their international convention coming up in uh, October in St. Louis, and then in Orlando, Harmony Incorporated has their international convention coming up in November, and then in acapella side, uh, another group I'm involved in, Sing Texas, uh, which is a contemporary acapella 
promotional group. Uh, we're having a big festival with Deke Share in, in November. So mm-hmm. check out the websites for Sweet Adelines and Harmony Incorporated and Sing Texas, uh, both on Facebook and on the web for more information on those. Awesome. And uh, everyone, if you want to get a hold of me, it's the same as always. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at John Lampus, J-O-H-N-L-A-M-P-U-S. And that's it for the episode today, everyone. Mark, thanks again so much for coming on. It's been great to have you on, uh, just talking about stuff that I feel like should be talked about more and was really entertaining for me to talk about. So thank you again. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll get you on again really soon. All right, everyone, that's it for this episode. For everything acapella, please stay tuned.